Welcome to the Seed Time Money Podcast. We are your hosts, Bob and Linda Lodick. This is a hope-filled podcast that'll help you save, earn, give, grow, and actually enjoy your money. We don't hold anything back. We share everything that we've learned on our journey. Everything from being 100% broke to paying off our house by age 31, to finding work with purpose, to giving more than we ever dreamed possible, all while having a blast on this adventure that God has led us on. And if you want to achieve true financial freedom and design a life of eternal impact, this is the show for you. We are so excited to let you know that our brand new book, Simple Money, Rich Life, is finally out. Yes, and if you enjoy the podcast, we think you're gonna love it. And if you like hearing our friendly voices, then you should grab the audiobook yes. on Audible. And if you don't, then just grab the paperback or grab the Kindle. <laughs> and if you do grab a copy, we want to hear from you. So send us a message on Instagram or send us an email and let us know what you think. Yeah, and again, the name is Simple Money Rich Life, and you can grab your copy anywhere books are sold. Anywhere. Pretty much any place that sells books, they <laughs> should have it. And so this is out of a really great book called The Psychology of Money. This is from chapter three of that book. And so I'm going to read a couple of little sections out of this because I found this to be, you read it, right? Yeah, you had me read it today and I, I was like, well, this is actually really interesting. I mean, and I got you to read something like that's legit. <laughs> a financial was, book. Uh, yeah, well, and you told me, you said this is your one of your favorite financial books that you've ever read. Yeah, yeah it's really good. Which is also interesting because you've read a lot. I've read a lot of books, yeah. No, but I mean, you know, you've admitted that it's hard for you to read a couple chapters without falling asleep. Yes, just in general. And so you just read this chapter out of a financial book, and I don't think you fell asleep. I, I did anyway. take a nap after, I will admit, <laughs> but <laughs> it's fine. All right, so this guy named Raja Gupta, I didn't know who this was, but he was a CEO of this company called McKinsey. And all this to say, he's really, really successful, it gets to the point where by 2008, Gupta was reportedly worth $100 million, incredible sum of money. Uh, yeah. And the author goes on to say a 5% annual return on that kind of money generates about $600 per hour, 24 hours a day. Oh my gosh. Pretty good. So the point is he could have done anything he wanted in his life. He's you know worth $100 million. Okay. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. This guy, Rajat Gupta, he wanted to be a billionaire. So he's worth $100 million, wants to be a billionaire, and he wants it yeah. really badly. <laughs> and so what happens is that this guy basically begins doing some insider trading, finds out that this is 2008 during the financial crisis, finds out that Warren mm. Buffett is about to buy their firm out or Goldman Sachs or something. And so he found that information out because he was an insider and immediately like executed a trade to buy a whole bunch of the company stock. And then, like a couple hours later, Warren Buffett, or the company announces that Warren Buffett's going to do it. Stock flies up. He makes, I think, $17 million or something. Wow. Which is a lot of money. But again, he's already has $100 million. 100 million. Uh, so it's like a drop in the bucket. And so it's a good chunk of change. But still, point is, he does that, you know, and it's so obvious, like to anyone to see that this is insider trading. So he goes to jail. <laughs> it's like, all right, <laughs> was that worth it? Okay. Which so that's, is weird because, like, he had to know that that was going to happen. It seems like that should be really, really obvious. Like right. that seems like just not smart criminal behavior, you know? But anyway, I don't really know. So that's the first example he lays out in there. Second example is Bernie Madoff. You probably have heard of or remember, basically ran this huge Ponzi scheme and probably like the, the biggest Ponzi scheme in history. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, so many people lost tons of money on it. But what's fascinating about Bernie Madoff, he wasn't like originally just a crook, you know, like some mm -hmm. pickpocket who just kind of built his way up scamming people. Right. He actually ran a very legitimate and very successful business. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I won't read all the details here. I'll just save you that. 
But the point is, is that he had a very successful business and the Wall Street Journal was writing about how well he was thriving and how much success he was having in his business. So he was already, you know, had a lot of acclaim and fanfare over the legit things that he was doing. So the question is like, why did he end up building this Ponzi scheme? And this is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let me just say this. He says, the question we should ask of both Gupta and Madoff is why someone worth hundreds of millions of dollars would be so desperate for more money that they risked everything in pursuit of even more, really even more that they don't need, you know? Right. And this is fascinating too. So a Nigerian scam artist once told the New York Times that he felt guilty for hurting others, but quote, poverty will not make you feel the pain. I think that's, that's interesting. So poverty will not make you feel. So the, the point pain. is, is that I'm doing something wrong and illegal, but I'm so broke that, that I'm going to. I don't, I don't really care feel about that, that bad. Yeah, and it's like interesting. I think that's fair argument. You know, if my family's starving and I go steal a loaf of bread, it's like I don't feel as bad about stealing a loaf of bread to feed my family type right. of thing. You know, I understand that that line of thinking. I'm not saying it makes it right. I just understand it. But the point is, is that Gupta and Madoff did something completely different. They already had everything, unimaginable wealth, prestige, power, and freedom, and they threw it all away because they wanted more. They had no sense of enough. They had no sense of enough. Well, yeah, and he goes on to talk in this book about how, you know, this is on a grand scale, but really all of us have the potential or maybe possibly even are living yeah. this out in, in a smaller scale. Smaller scale, possibly not illegally, you know. Right. Uh, I love what Warren Buffett said here. Warren Buffett, you know, and I, I talk about Warren a lot. He is not uh, my role model in every area of his life, but there is <laughs> so much wisdom that proceeds from his lips mm-hmm. that the dude's just really sharp. And so this is what he said on a similar situation. He says, to make money they didn't have and didn't need, they risked what they did have and did need. And that's foolish. It's just plain yeah. foolish. If you risk something that's important to you for something that is unimportant to you, it just doesn't make any sense. There is no reason to risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need. And in both of those cases, both of those guys were already incredibly wealthy, but they just had no sense of enough. Mm-hmm. And that just drove them to this whole thing. And so out of this, the author, his name is Morgan Housel. And this book is called The Psychology, the Psychology of, Money. of Money. But uh, anyway, he's got a couple different points here about all this. He says, few of us will never have $100 million, mm-hmm. but a measurable percentage of those reading the book will some point in their life earn a salary have a sum of money sufficient to cover every reasonable thing they need right and a lot of what they want mm-hmm. and we've had a couple points in our career and some of the highs where we fell into this category i mean certainly not 100 million dollars but enough where right we had enough mm-hmm. and where we were comfortable and where honestly that was something i had to wrestle with and god had to work on my heart to kind of purge out some of my desire for more and not knowing, you know, where that line was, you know. Anyway, so he he mentions two different things here. So he says, if you're one of these people, he actually mentions four, but I'm going to comment on two of them. So the first one is social comparison is a problem. Okay. And I love this illustration he gave. You read this, right? Yes. This is so good. So says, consider a rookie baseball player who earns half a million dollars a year. And by most people's definition, that's rich. That's great. Half a million dollars a year. That's pretty good salary, Right. Right. So, but let's say he plays on a team with Mike Trout, who has a 12 year, $430 million contract. So, <laughs> Mike Trout is, I think, making $36 million a year at that point. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, the rookie feels the broke. The half a million, yeah. Isn't that I feel like I'm broke special. because the other guy on my bench is making $36 million a year when I'm making mm-hmm. half a million dollars a year. All right. So, that makes sense, right? But then Mike Trout, 
might compare himself to the average, or what does it say? To make it on the list of the top 10 highest paid hedge fund managers in 2018, you need to earn $340 million in a year. So he's making $36 million, and these guys are making $340 million a year. And then those guys oh, might be comparing themselves to the top five who were earning $770 million a year. And then those right. people might look to Warren Buffett, who made $3.5 billion oh, in 2018. And then Warren Buffett's looking to Jeff Bezos, who increased his wealth by $24 billion. Yeah. And so... This just never ends. Is that it never ends. And right. it's, a, it's a great illustration of the whole thing. And I, yeah, I love it. Because it just ties back to this verse in Proverbs where it says, mm-hmm. the eyes of a man are never satisfied. Right. And there's no limit. And it was Rockefeller that they said, how much is enough yep. for you? And he said, just a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's like a funny way to answer that question, but it's completely accurate. Yeah. And I mean, we even talk about this in the spender and saver realm of yep. how much is enough for you to save that you'll feel secure. And you're like, just a little bit more. Like, it's yeah. just, it, there's not really enough. And in the spending category, I also feel the same. Well, yeah, <laughs> you, you think there is. Like, it feels right. like, I mean, this leads to the next point here is that, and this is ultimately the title of this episode, the hardest financial skill to master, he says, is getting the goalpost to stop moving. Mm. Okay. And this is so true because it always is moving. Like mm-hmm. you move further down the road and now it's like, oh, there's a new thing down the line. And it just yeah. never stops moving. One of the interesting things about this is that, and this is God's idea, this wasn't our idea, but our best and most helpful thing at keeping our goalpost from moving has been this thing that he has led us down of giving our age as a percentage of our income. Mm. And so if you don't know what we're talking about, check out our book, Simple Money, Rich Life. We go into all depth of this whole story of how we got there and what we're doing with it. But but the point is we give our age, at this point we're age 41, and so we're giving 41% of our income. And what's great about that is the goalpost moves, but it moves in the right direction. Right. And so it's moving in our favor and it works with us. And so what that does is it puts an ever-increasing restraint mm-hmm. on our spending yep. while increasing our giving, which is the most important thing to us, which yes. is the eternal perspective of everything that we're doing. Right. And so it's been really helpful. Yeah. And I, I think it is funny that he's saying social comparison is the problem because what I would love, what I would strive for, I just read this book about Smith Wigglesworth, who was a, I mean, I don't even Old know what to call him. Pentecostal preacher from when was it, early 1900s? Right, the early 1900s. And he like, he saw a huge impact on the world. And this book that I read was kind of a case study on him of like, why did he see the results that he saw? And he kept going back to the fact that he had an insatiable hunger for the word, yeah. that he just wanted to be around God all the time, that he, like they said, what do you do for fun? And he was like, fun, like, I, I spend time in God's presence. Like, that's all the fun I need. And he, he said, like, anything else is just pulling me away from him and leaving me open to an attack of the enemy. And it was like, oh, my, what, what? <laughs> like, that's so foreign to us right now. And well, yeah, somebody it, said, do you read the newspaper? Because this was back in the early 1900s and even before. And he said, I mean, I'll catch a line here, you know, line or two here or there. But he said, why would I look at a half truth when I can read the truth? And I mean, it's so interesting because you say that now and people are like, well, you have to look at what's actually going on in the world. And it's like, I understand that there's an awareness, but I think when we have more of an awareness about what is happening in the world than we do about what is happening in the kingdom of heaven and what God is trying to do, 
that's when it gets super weird. And so what yeah. what I would love is for our social comparison to be pushing us forward towards God. Yeah. Like those are the people I want to hang around where I'm like, do you see what they're doing for God? There's and peer pressure to be in the word more. Peer, peer <laughs> like, pressure, but not even in a bad way, yeah, in an in inspiring way, way yeah, right? Because yeah. like I, I think when you get stuck in the what is, you know, what are the Joneses doing or whoever, mm-hmm. yeah. then you feel like you can never have enough. But when you are searching for God, he will always give you more. And it's like the only thing where I'm like okay with being insatiable. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I love that. So the question is, you know, because I I think there are different ways to address this problem of enough. Mm. Uh, But honestly, like the best thing for us has been this age as a percentage thing. Because like I said, it's just pushed us in that direction that we've needed to go. It's been a healthy nudge, assuming our income continues to increase, in which I don't know if that'll be the case. It's like it's been up and down Mm -hmm. and maybe it will be the rest of our lives. I don't really know. But the point is, either way, we're growing, we're moving in the right direction by increasing our giving and therefore spending less on ourselves. And it puts more pressure on us to have some level of enough. It Mm -hmm. creates a wall to bump up against, which is so important. So my question to you as you're listening to this is, do you have any goalposts in your life that keep moving and how can you lock them down? How can you keep them from moving? Yeah. And so that's a thought to ponder for today mm-hmm. and to pray about and ask God how you can kind of keep them from moving. All right. So I want to read a review. Yeah. We've gotten some great reviews for the podcast. You yeah. And they're one? exciting and we just want to share them with you. So yeah. yeah, this one we got was just what I needed to hear. It's from Madam Carolyn. It says, I needed to switch my mindset on my relationship with money and having faith as a foundation is something new to me. I'm so glad I found this podcast. Your May 23rd episode had me choked up because it's so parallel to the storm we're about to go through in our careers. You increased my faith so much. Awesome. Which was exciting. That it's Madeline... Madam Carolyn. Madam Carolyn. And that episode she's talking about was when you were talking about feeling stuck in your job. Yep. And that's exciting. So if you need to listen to that one, it's yeah. May 23rd. I think it's yeah. And it's say. also, if you have the book, it's in the book too. I think yes. that was the intro to the earn all you can section. Mm-hmm. You can check that out as well. So I hope you have an awesome rest yeah. of your day and make it a good one and be Thanks. a blessing to someone else. Thanks for listening. All right. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the Seed Time Money Podcast. And remember, money isn't the goal, but it's simply a tool to help you fulfill your purpose and your calling. And we'd love to help you achieve true financial freedom faster with our email newsletter. So if you want exclusive money tips and hope-filled encouragement in your inbox, head over to seedtime.com to get signed up.